This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's Room 104 with Trish and Kev. And right now, we've got Chaz Allen on the line. Welcome to the show, Chaz. Hi, Trish. Thanks for having me. Now, Chaz, you were one of four 19-year-old college students who carried out one of the most audacious art heists in U.S. history. Your target was the Transylvania University Private Collections Museum, home to a collection of some of the most valuable rare books and paintings in the world. Now, if successful, the theft would have made each of you a fortune. So take us back to the start, Chaz. What led you guys to hatch this plan? Well, one of the guys was a art student there at Transylvania University, and he had private access to the Special Collections Museum. And he was given a tour, and on the tour, he realized there were books and books of paintings in the Special Collections Museum that were worth millions of dollars. And when he shared that with another friend, this, this other friend was like, well, what would it take to get those books? And then they started kind of working on a plan to actually make that happen. And I was brought in later. I was the last one to, to become involved. And that's kind of how it originated. So when you got that call, did you know these guys personally? Were they friends of yours or just acquaintances? Um because I know most people getting a phone call like that, you kind of go, mm, okay, do I trust this person? <laughs> well, uh, where I'm from, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, originally, it's a really small town. Uh, well, not too small, about 300,000 people. And it's the type of place that everyone kind of knows everyone. So I knew these guys, I grew up with them. Uh, and when they first told me about the idea, you know, they said, hey, there's these books and paintings in this library and they're worth millions. And I actually laughed the first time they said it, I laughed. I was like, that is ridiculous. That's so stupid. You're going to get yourselves caught. Don't do that. What's wrong with you. And then over the course of time, I think it was about nine months, they continued working on it. And I kind of had a perfect storm of events in my personal life that I got to the point that I said, I don't really care what happens. I said, F it, I'll do it. And I got involved at that point. Okay. So that was the moment for you where you said, all right, I'm on board. Now, as a part of the plan, um, this was inspired by a heist movies I've, I've heard. Um, each of you took on separate responsibilities. Now, what was your role in the plot? So my role was the getaway driver. 
And going into it, yeah, we were inspired by heist films and TV shows and things like that, you know, at first, you know, because at 19 years old, what do you really know about committing a multi-million dollar heist? Not much at all. Just what you've seen on, on film. And what started, movie was it for you guys? Because I'm thinking Ocean's 8, Ocean's 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say probably one of the Ocean's movies. Um, definitely a lot of Tarantino stuff like Reservoir Dogs. That was definitely an inspiration. Um, Snatch. That's another one. But um, yeah, so we we were inspired by that and we started kind of watching, watching films to kind of psych ourselves up because, you know, this is a, a big threshold that we're about to cross. So, yeah, we watched films to kind of get inspiration. And then once we act, uh, we realized that the stuff from films, it's in film and not real life for a reason. And once we actually got in the thick of it, uh, we realized that uh, it's very, very different in reality. And, and crime is, is very brutal and kind of gruesome and very painful. And you don't see that in the films. Definitely not. Okay, so take us back then to the day. So the plan has been hatched. You were working on it for nine months. You were the getaway driver. On the day, what happens? So let's see. On the day of the heist, um, I picked up two of my friends, and we drove to the library. One of the guys, the art student, he was the the lookout, so he was already there. And it was a weird feeling driving there. We didn't talk much. Um, We were all kind of resolved just going through our thoughts. I think in some way all of us didn't really want to go through with it, but no one really wanted to be the one that pulled the plug and stepped back. And no one wanted to, to appear weak in front of you know our friends. So we just went through with it. And driving there, it kind of felt like I was underwater. It felt like an out-of-body experience in a lot of ways. I felt dissociated. Um, but we pulled up. Um, do you want to hear the whole story? Yes, we do. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> so uh, we pulled into a, a parking space and... We got lucky, if you want to call it luck. There was a parking space directly beside the the exit, um, the emergency exit. And we had previously cut the the alarm on the emergency exit several days prior. And one guy went in and he went into the library on his own. Uh, He had a big coat, a scarf, a hat to kind of cover himself up. And... He was supposed to talk with the librarian and get her to cooperate and then make a phone call and call the other guy up who would help unload the books, the books and the paintings. Mm -hmm. So he goes in, um, I'm waiting in the car with the other guy and 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by. I'm wondering what the hell is he doing? What's going on in there? Did you have the urge to maybe drive away at that stage? Because you said you were a little bit nervous at the beginning and you were all thinking, what are we doing? Um, At that stage, did you think, should I just drive away now? Not quite there, 
but shortly thereafter I did. Um, so when the other guy that was waiting in the car with me got the call, he went in expecting that the librarian already agreed to cooperate and he was just going to carry out the books. Well, it didn't work that way. Um, he walked in and the other guy in the library and we were just having a conversation and it ended up getting a bit gruesome um, because the first guy that went in, he attempted to use a stun pen, like a small version of a taser. And he touched the librarian on the shoulder with it. It didn't work uh, because she had thick shoulder pads on a jacket. And then he, he had to wrestle her to the ground. He wrestled her to the ground and they bound her, her hands. And, they and that put was a, not a part of the plan. That was not a part of the plan. It had been discussed and it had been vetoed. It had been agreed that that wouldn't happen. And then that's what actually happened the day of. So while I'm waiting and all this is happening, that's when I'm thinking, oh, shit, should I just, should I just drive away? I haven't done anything at this point. I can just drive away and put all of this behind me. And ultimately, I didn't uh, because I felt loyalty to my friends. I didn't want to leave them hanging. Mm. I didn't want to be the reason they got caught uh, because I, I would just leave them high and dry, basically. So, um, yeah, in the special collections room, they, they ended up binding the librarian and they put a, a hat over her eyes so that she couldn't see. And they started unloading the, the books. And they stacked them onto bed sheets. The books were really heavy. These are, they're elephant folios. They're leather bound. They, I don't know, maybe 40, 50 pounds each. So they stacked three of a collection of four books that are valued at $12 million total. And that's called uh, John James Audubon's Birds of America. They were able to get three of the four, but the fourth was locked in a cabinet and they couldn't find the key. The librarian would not give up the key. So they stacked those. They stacked a bunch of other, other things and they loaded their backpacks. And they, they hurried out of there. They went to the nearby elevator. There was a service elevator. And the service elevator connected directly to the emergency exit. So the plan was we would never have to encounter anyone else other than the library. In their panic, they hit the wrong button and they went to the wrong floor and the doors opened and they've got millions of dollars of books just sitting between them in bed sheets and it opened to the student area. So students saw them, uh, an assistant librarian saw them and in their panic, they pushed the button, tried to close the elevator uh, door really quickly. They went to another floor. They knew they couldn't get out from there. So they had to go back up to uh, the original floor where the emergency exit is. And by that time, the assistant librarian had gone to the emergency exit hallway. So she saw them. They attempted to run dragging these heavy books 
with the backpacks over their shoulders. And the assistant librarian chased after them. And they, they barely dodged her, but in dodging her from tackling them, uh, they dropped the books, the, the Audubon books that were in the bedsheets. And they took off running. And at that point, that's when in the, the van, I looked over at the emergency exit and I saw one guy came running through and just jump kicked the door open. And he busted out. He had the backpack over his shoulders. And I jumped out of the van. I opened the rear hatch. And I realized that they didn't have the big books. So I closed the rear hatch. I jumped in the driver's seat, put it in reverse, and opened the side door. And that's when I saw the other guy come out. But he ran in the wrong direction. He ran toward the heart of campus. And this library was running toward the first guy. So I sped the car up and I made it so that the first guy could jump in the car and we could hopefully avoid the librarian because she was now chasing after the the van, the car. And that's when we tried to get the attention of the other guy that was running into the heart of campus. Uh, We were screaming at him, hey, what are you doing? Where are you going? Get in here. So eventually he kind of snapped out of it and he dove in the car. We peeled out from around the, it was like a horseshoe shaped parking lot. We peeled out from there into oncoming traffic. Uh, I was driving like a crazy person, weaving in and out of traffic, running red lights, uh, busting through stop signs. What was going through your mind? (laughs) Or were you just- We got to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. It was- uh, it was sheer fight or flight and it was adrenaline and it was just, Oh my God, we just did this thing. I cannot believe that we just uh, committed this crime and I've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of here. So in that panic drive, that's when um, the other two guys and myself, myself, we started talking about what happened, where are the books, you know, we were here for those, those big books and there was an overseas buyer in Amsterdam that had agreed to pay $12 million for those, that collection of four um, Audubon books mm. and they didn't get those. So we started arguing and that's when they opened their backpacks and realized what they did get was um, a first edition of Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species. Mm. Uh, an illuminated manuscript from the 1400s medical dictionaries from the 1700s that had belonged to Thomas Jefferson and some sketches from John James Audubon as well and we had no idea what those were worth at the time but we were arguing and ultimately we got to a safe space uh I let them out of the car and told them to hide. And while they hid, while I went and swapped the car, because we had swapped the license plate and some different things on the van. And the van was actually being sold the same day. Uh, My aunt had sold the van to an out-of-state buyer. So 
when I dropped the car off several hours later, the car would be taken to another state and would be gone and not traceable. (laughs) At least that was the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I swapped the car, went back and got uh, my Jeep. I drove a Jeep at the time. And then I came and picked them up. And then we drove back uh, in pretty much peace because uh, I knew that once I had dropped the van off, uh, police would be looking for that van and three men in that van, but not someone in, you know, in a Jeep Cherokee. Yeah. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, so that's... So that's pretty much then how how it happened. When when the guys got in the car and say they were telling... Maybe there was no conversation happening in the car, but when they were telling you that, listen... We went upstairs, we got, on, we got in the wrong lift, uh, got on the wrong floor. There was just a multitude of things that went wrong. Were you thinking at that point, right, this is a complete cock up? Yeah, I, I was thinking, oh, my God, why did I why did I get involved in these guys? What have they done? What have I done? Uh, is This is such a mess. And then come to find out what they had actually got in their backpacks um, that was valued in, in court later, it was valued upwards of $4 million. Oh, well, that's quite a sum. You guys had organized the buyer from abroad. So obviously getting back to um, your homes and, you know, everything kind of settling down. How long was it after that before a, you were contacted by the buyer going, where's, you know, where's what I ordered and B before the guards were at your door. So just to be honest, I don't even know if there ever was a buyer. So, (laughs) so uh, yeah, one of the guys, who was kind of organizing the 
thing. And he was the first one to go into the, the special collections library that day. Uh, part, of, part of what brought myself and another guy in is this concept that an overseas buyer had already agreed to pay for the books. And he told this whole story about how he flew over to Amsterdam and met with this buyer and he was a black market kind of guy. And looking back, um, I don't even know if that, that was true uh, because this was in 2003, 2004. And in the States post 9-11, um, travel restrictions changed. And this guy claimed that he went to Amsterdam on a forged passport. And at the time, it made sense because they also, they made fake uh, driver's license and things like that on campus, just like a small little thing they did. So I believed it. I was like, okay, that seems feasible. Uh, but yeah, now looking back, I don't think it was feasible at all to travel abroad on a fake passport at 19 years old. Gosh. And so you drove away, you got home, everything was okay then. What, did the guards knock on the door and, you know, was there a big bang? Did they get the other guys first and then you got called in or how did you get caught? Oh, uh, so we got caught because um, after the, the original buyer from Amsterdam eventually backed out, uh, they claimed that the guy was only after the collection of Audubon books. So because we didn't get those, um, we and I at the time assumed that, well, if he's interested in, in dealing in black market, uh, potentially stolen items, then even if he's not interested in, uh, or even if we didn't get the Audubon books, well, maybe he's interested in these others. And then, no, he's not interested in that. Uh, so the only way to sell these, in the other guy's opinion, was to take it to Christie's Auction House in New York City uh, through what's called uh, private sector sales. And that comes with non-disclosure agreements and private buyer agreements, things like that. But um, I tried to tell the guys that you cannot take these stolen books to Christie's Auction House in New York City, one of the biggest auction houses in the world, to try to sell these, these stolen books. Uh, my family was in the auction business at the time. So I grew up around that and knew very well exactly what would happen if you take it to an auction house. Uh, they would appraise it. Uh, they would track the last time it was bought and sold and by whom. And then if that was done on these books, they would instantly find, oh, these are the books that were stolen from Transylvania Library. So we fought over that. Uh, there was a big disagreement. Ultimately, the guys chose to take the books to Christie's Auction House mm -hmm. in New York City. And about a month later, the FBI contacted Christie's and said, hey, have you seen these books? And the appraiser, who was trying to find us a buyer, said, well, actually, I have. And when we all went to New York and had the meeting with Christie's Auction House, the artist and the guy who was the first to go into the, uh, the library the day of the heist, they had the meeting with the appraiser. 
And after the meeting, they came back to the hotel room where the four of us were staying and they were so excited. They were like, they're going to find us a buyer. It's great. They're going to contact us and let us know when they do. And I said, what do you, what do you mean they're going to contact us? How, how are they going to contact us? Um, Because up to that point, everything had been done with fake IDs uh, from public terminals on computers, pay phones, that kind of thing. And yeah, they said, she's going to contact us. So I said, where? And they kind of froze. And they said, well, they're, they're going to call us on Spencer's phone. That was the artist. And I said, you mean the phone registered to your name? Oh my God. That phone? And long story short, uh, that was a, a big blow up fight argument. And I, I was devastated because I knew that's, that was the end. And I knew that was going to get us caught. And I was so upset with myself, especially for, for doing what I had done and for being involved with these guys. And yeah, I just knew it was a matter of time. So probably a month, month and a half. So that was in mid-December and it was the day before Valentine's Day uh, when I was in bed with my girlfriend at the time at my college house about 5.30, 6 in the morning when this loud banging happened. Um, and she woke me up screaming that someone was in the house. And my eyes were blurry. It was dark. Uh, I just heard a lot of commotion. I thought we were being robbed. Um, I, I grabbed a, a knife at the bedstand, and then I heard more stomping and doors opening and shouting. So uh, I put the knife down and ran to the closet and grabbed a gun. And I told her to hide in the closet. I said my goodbyes to her. I ran to the top of the stairs, and I thought I was going to have to shoot someone. Oh my God. Yeah. Did, so did, did you kind of know that, you know, the day of reckoning was, was here or were you still kind of a bit blurry? As to I imagine happening? that uh, getting arrested would be more, you know, a knock on the door mm. and uh, Mr. Allen, we need to talk with you. I imagine that. Mm. And again, that's from the, the movies, but um yeah, they came in full, full SWAT team, uh, battering ram the door, riot gear, you know, all that kind of stuff, uh, the bulletproof vests and shotguns and all those things. So, uh, yeah, they bashed in the door to my room. Uh, at, it was kind of at the, the bottom of the set of stairs. Mm. And this guy busted through the door. And undid the lock with a glove, a gloved hand, and I almost shot his hand. And I was like, well, I, I just had a little two-shot Derringer. It was just like a little little gun. And I was like, I need to preserve my, my bullets. So I saved the shot there. He opens the door. The door swings open at the bottom of the staircase. And I'm standing at the top in my, my just boxers, boxer shorts. And I've got the gun trained at the bottom of the stairs and this guy walks in and he's massive. And 
I almost pulled the trigger um, just at the side of his head. But again, what came from movies, the only thing that came to my mind was to yell freeze. And <laughs> right. I'm thinking this is not the time. This is, this is not, not the time. time. No. So I yelled freeze. And he, he did freeze. His eyes turned toward me and he saw the, the barrel of the gun pointing down at him and his eyes, he was just shocked. And that's when, when he turned to look at me, I saw uh, the letters on his, his hat, it said FBI. And that's when I froze. And I was like, oh shit, this, this, this is the end. Uh, I'm being arrested. So then he swung the butt of his shotgun up towards me. And thankfully he didn't pull the trigger. I didn't pull the trigger. And from there I was arrested. I can imagine your girlfriend must have been so shocked, surprised. Did she know about the plan at all? Did she know what had happened before? No, 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 that was, that was heartbreaking to, to see her. My, my room was filled with um, FBI agents and police and, and she came out of the closet eventually. And as I'm walking, being led down the stairs in handcuffs, uh, I could just see her eyes just streaming with tears. And it was, it was heartbreaking. You know, Chaz, that, that in itself stones like such an ordeal. Um, and then, of course, having to deal with what was to come afterwards, going through a court case, um, what was that part like? And I assume that then was the the final uh, part in this uh, book, the chapter in this book. Sure. Yeah. We um, the four of us who were involved, we we pled guilty mm-hmm. um, because they they basically caught us red handed. They they caught us with the books. Um, so in the states, if you plead guilty, you get acceptance of responsibility. So that in the, the sentencing guidelines, uh, that reduced our sentence by three points, which three points becomes pretty, pretty substantial um, because the, the sentences can be pretty lengthy. Uh, so we did what's called a trial by judge rather than by jury. So it was not to determine our innocence or guilt. We were obviously guilty, uh, but there were stipulations that we were arguing. Um, so over the course of 11 months, we argued that, that the books were worth less than $5 million. And the prosecutor was trying to say that they're worth more than $5 million. Um, we were trying to say that the stun pin that was used was non-lethal. And the prosecutor was trying to say that it was lethal, that it could kill someone. And ultimately, um, the books were valued at under five million, just under five million, and uh, the stun pin was charged as a lethal weapon, and that increased our time significantly. It added an extra couple of years. So, uh, long story short, we were all sentenced to eighty-seven months in federal prison, seven years, three months, and at the time, I was twenty years old. Now, after um, you know, waiting for, for trial and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that was, that was really, really devastating to hear that, that number. 
87 months. And at that point, that was like over a third of my life. So the idea of facing you know, a third of my life in federal prison, uh, that was just, it was shocking. Were your family and friends there to support you um, and help? They were. Yeah, I was, I was so, so fortunate in that way that um, the day of, of court and actually sent, sentencing later um the courtroom was filled with family and friends um wonderful people that were there to support and then throughout my entire incarceration uh the maximum that you could um get visitation it was um six times a month uh, split in a weird point system but uh every month the entire time that i was there uh, I had six visits a month. Yeah. yeah. Looking back on that experience and spending time um, behind bars, did it change you as a person? It did. Absolutely. Um, the, the thing that I believe allowed me to, to grow and move past it most was the fact that I had to take a hard look at my actions and to take accountability and responsibility uh, to then be able to move forward and atone for my actions. And the best way that I knew how to do that was to express myself in a book. So I wrote, I wrote my experience in a book and that was cathartic uh, for me to kind of better understand how did I even get on that path? How did I even, uh, do this this hurtful thing that was harmful to my family and friends, um, the librarian, of course, and you know even even myself. It was destructive. So, yeah, that time in prison allowed me to uh, basically remove myself from myself, the way of life that I, I knew up to that point and really take a a hard introspective look to try to understand more about myself and to move forward in in ways that are positive and productive. Mm. And have you ever spoken to any of the other guys? Have you ever been in contact with them um, after or have you just completely cut ties? Uh, Somewhere in between. Mm. I mean, I've definitely gone my own separate way and, and had Basically, after after that um, incident in New York, that was kind of where I drew the line. But um, yeah, every now and then we'll kind of check in like, hey, how are you? Is everything okay? Life treating you all right? But that's few and far between and probably every couple of years. Chaz, this is one of those stories that I just find absolutely incredible and especially to experience something like that as a 19 year old. I'm I'm putting myself back to when I was 19 and I just don't think I would have had the sense at all to carry out any of that. Um, But now looking back at that 19 year old, what would you say to him? I think the biggest thing that I would say to my younger self is that um, no matter what you're going through, 
there are healthy outlets out there. And I think at the time I was, I was too prideful uh, to, to seek help. And I was dealing with a lot of heavy, painful emotions. And, and rather than finding healthy outlets for them, I, I sought destructive outlets. And I ultimately um, chose destructive behavior to kind of tear down my life rather than build it up. So yeah, I would tell my younger self to find a healthy outlet for those emotions. That's wonderful advice. And I'm sure our listeners as well um, will take heed in that. Um, what does life look like now for Taz Allen? I know you've so written a now, book. Yeah. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've written several books. Um, I've ghostwritten several books. I've adapted several screenplays. So now after sharing my story, uh, I find purpose in helping other people share their stories. So I live in Los Angeles. Um, I, I enjoy life here. I love uh, delving into to story. And I most, I guess what I most love about story is how it allows us to, to further connect and relate with one another. As Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us. And if anybody out there was looking for your work or where to find you, um, where should they go? So I, I'm probably most active on Instagram. It's just my name at Chaz Allen. That's C-H-A-S-A-L-L-E-N. And my mo- most recent book about uh, the story that we discussed today, it's called Evolution, Becoming a Criminal. And I've also got some other works out there that I've ghostwritten or co-authored. And that's probably discoverable just by Google. I feel like you're going to have a lot of sales and evolution. And I I really want to see that on the big screen sometime. Oh, so that's, yeah, that's another thing is uh, it is. So it's, there's been a a film adaptation uh, blending all four of our stories, um, all four of the people involved and also law enforcement. And it's called American Animals. And it was released at Sundance Film Festival uh, 2018. And I think now it's available on several of the streamers, things like that. You sound like an amazing person. You've absolutely turned around your life and everything seems to be going well. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, Thank thank you you so much for sharing your story with us. Trish, thank you so much for talking with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.